Are you a mom launching kids into adulthood? If so, you need to know about my Empty Nest Mom Retreat. It is the gathering for moms who have at least one child over the age of 18 or who have launched them all and have a full empty nest. September 27th through the 29th are the dates, and Cedar Lake Retreat Center in Cedar Lake, Indiana is the place. You can fly into Chicago airports and drive to Cedar Lake in a little over an hour. Come join me. Best value registration is available through May 27th, and space is limited to just 100 moms, so don't delay. Check out jillsavage.org slash retreat to register today. I had to speak from a voice that they would hear, and I did that through a letter. And then I realized that if my child never wanted a relationship with me again, I couldn't control that. I had to do what I needed to do in order to heal and and let go of the, that power and control. You're listening to the No More Perfect Podcast, where we talk about strengthening the relationships that mean the most to you. I'm Jill Savage, and I live in normal Illinois. I'm committed to talking honestly about the messy, less than perfect, but normal stuff of life. I'm so glad you've joined me. Every once in a while, I use social media to ask for podcast topic ideas. The topic we're exploring today is one that has been requested many times over the last year. I asked my friend Sarah if she would be willing to share both her experience and her wisdom with us. You see, Sarah has experienced an adult child who was estranged and put up some big boundaries, but Sarah is also a licensed counselor. And while Sarah is a private person and asks that we only use her first name, she understands this topic from both angles and has much knowledge and wisdom to share with us. If you have adult children, even if they're not estranged from you, you need to hear this episode. Listen in. Well, hello, Sarah. Thank you so much for being willing to join me on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So, you know, I know that today you're going to share with us both from a personal perspective, um, but you're also going to share with us from a professional perspective. And I appreciate that you can bring both of those topics uh, to the table. So let's just start with your personal story of being estranged from one of your children. Uh, Can you just share with us a little about that and what that journey has been like for you? Sure. So with with one of my kids, um, we had a lot of conflict during their teen and young adult years. And so um, it was always kind of um, just a rocky relationship. And then um, there have been two times specifically where there's been a definite estrangement of no contact um, per their request for several months at a time. Um, The first one was several years ago, and then the other one was more recent for a longer period of time. And um, during both of those times, uh, both of them really threw me for a loop, like probably most people experience, Um, really sends you kind of really wondering, like, um, what what just happened? Mm -hmm. Will this ever be reconciled? 
And I think as a parent, it really sends you down a, a really dark hole. The most recent time was for several months. Um, and and in between those times, while there wasn't estrangement, there is an ongoing kind of rocky relationship, kind of walking on eggshells, never quite knowing, um, kind of an on-again, off-again type of relationship. So um, we currently, with this child, um, we currently are at a better place, which is good, but there is um, always growth on my end and a lot of trying to figure out how to walk as a parent in this relationship, knowing that it may never be the relationship that you hoped and dreamed for, which is a real big loss, I think, for most parents. The other thing I should say, too, is that um, I think every situation has different elements. Part of my situation was that I was aware of a lot of mistakes that I made when um, when I was a mom. Um, I was a very angry mom at times and very reactive. And so um, I've carried a lot of guilt and shame with that, even though I have grown and healed and changed from that. But my child um, had to work through their own process of grief and healing. And so that's part of the dance in this whole situation is that we may expect our kids to be at a different place because we're at a different place Mm. when they have their own journey of whatever they have internalized as their their wounds um but there are so many other situations that um have different factors mm-hmm. of, right of estrangement well and i think you just said something that i'm i want to kind of capture for a moment so you've done a lot of personal healing but you've probably done that more after your kids have become adults it sounds like is that accurate or was that while they were still at home with you? Um, both. Okay. So when I had a lot of conflict originally with, um, when I realized that I was a reactive parent, mm-hmm. I realized that I had to change because if I didn't change, like I was realizing how it was affecting my family. So I did a lot of work then. Okay. Um, but this child was probably the one who experienced more of that, um, more of that uh, targeted towards them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so as as they walked through adulthood, young adulthood and adulthood, then they've been on their own healing journey from, you know, those things I've been able to say, I did that. I was wrong. I'm going to change. I have changed I've asked for forgiveness, um, but in the process, um, still carrying a lot of guilt and shame to the point where um, it really impacted me this last time. The last time of the estrangement affected me much more than I had expected because I I carried so much guilt and shame that um, it was affecting my own mental health. So then you realized you had some more personal healing to do in the midst of that, right? Yes, yes. And so that's really what it came down to was I realized um, I 
I communicated with my child um, in a way that, so part of my journey and part of my healing, but also part of my relationship in trying to reconcile is always trying to put myself in my child's shoes, which is difficult, but we have to do that. Yes. Um, Joshua Coleman, who we will refer to his work um, called um, When Parents Hurt and also The Rules of Estrangement, he talks about how things in this relationship are not fair. It's different than a than a um than a spousal relationship you know and so i i had to flip things to think okay what does my child need from me why why are they pushing me away and what do they need and i realized that what they needed was um they needed to probably to be heard Mm -hmm. they needed for me to accept their pain Mm -hmm. and and not minimize it Right, not minimize it and not try to say, but look, I've changed. They needed me to validate their experience and not hurry them along. Mm-hmm. And so when I realized what they probably what they needed, I kind of um I had to speak from a voice that they would hear. And I did that through um through a letter and then um just left it go. And then I realized that if my child never wanted a relationship with me again, I couldn't control that. Mm-hmm. I had to do what I needed to do in order to heal and and let go of the that power and control or manipulation or grasping mm-hmm. for a reconciled relationship because it wasn't in my, the, the ball was in my court. The ball was in their court. Mm-hmm. And that's when I sought um, professional counseling, but then also did some inner healing um, and really worked on, I realized this past time that really what shipwrecked me was the guilt and shame. And I think for a lot of parents, what goes to your mind is, um, well, if my, if my own child doesn't love me, if my own child doesn't want me, then what am I worth? Mm. And that was a real thought that went through my head was, you know, there's just so much pain mm-hmm. um, of that rejection. If your child rejects you, then what, what point is there? Mm. You know, that was probably my darkest day was when um and then i had so much anxiety i had so much anxiety um for a short period of time but i really leaned into what needed what i needed to do in order to take care of that anxiety so that it didn't um debilitate me more than just you know the immediate um the immediate few days afterwards yes and you know what is striking me too is that the anxiety that you're talking about, if we don't learn how to have personal healing ourselves, then what we're looking for is our child to relieve that anxiety mm-hmm. by yeah. by um, reconciling with us. And so then what we're doing is we're pushing, we, we almost become manipulative to try and get them to reconcile so that we're feeling better uh, would that be correct? Yeah. And I think actually that's a lot of what our children need distance from. So, right. you know, 
So here, here, you know, I was a reactive mom. And what I didn't realize was that my child grew up in a home where they internalized my feelings. They, they took on the Mm. responsibility for my feelings. Mm -hmm. And so now, even as an adult, if I would um, respond in a way that to them felt triggering or, you know, so, so as an adult, what they're working through is I'm not responsible for my mom's feelings. Mm -hmm. And so, so for a lot of parents who are saying, well, but I don't think I really did anything intentionally, you know, that harmed my child. Well, that I, I just want to share real quickly. Um, Joshua Coleman identifies um, different pathways to estrangement. And I'll just insert those here if that's okay, because mm-hmm. I think it'll help parents who are listening right now and saying, well, my story is not like her story, but what we need to start understanding is what our child's story is. And yes. so um, in this book, the rules of estrangement, he identifies six different things that tend to create a pathway to estrangement. Um, One is divorce. Mm. One is a difficult daughter or son-in-law. And I've seen that personally with several people whose whose child has married um, someone and then that family system or that in-law has estranged them. Um, Mental illness or addiction. um, Wait a minute. Mental illness or addiction of the child or the parent probably yes either one yes either Mm -hmm. one yes Mm -hmm. okay yes um and then their their therapist so this was very interesting to me because i've actually had friends and also um clients of my own whose children started seeing a therapist and then all of a sudden there this narrative started developing against especially the mom um, and so there, there tends to be a lot of parent shaming. And, and as a therapist, I can say, I think that's, you know, that's an, that's a, a misfortune for my profession, because while we are there to listen to our client, we always have to understand that, um, you know, there's always two perspectives to things. And, um, but it was really interesting that he identified one of those. I think there tends to be some parent shaming, um, in there that component. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there can be. It doesn't mean that that's always what it is. Um, mm-hmm. The fifth one is really important, feeling too close to the parent. So this also was interesting to me as I've seen um, several articles about this um, of kind of uh, parents who were helicopter parents and the child really is becoming estranged because they are trying to maintain their own autonomy. Yes. And so for the parent who says, but I did everything for my child. Well, that's one of the reasons why our children need space away is because they they need their own autonomy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the last one is disagreement about choices, values, and lifestyles. And this we've seen come up more, especially since the pandemic. I just talked to one woman recently who had a combination of this. There was disagreement about choices, values, and lifestyles regarding the pandemic with a daughter-in-law and that family has been estranged ever since Mm, because they disagreed with how they were handling isolation or uh right immunizations or any of that kind of stuff gotcha yeah yeah okay and um i want to go back for a moment we we kind of went quickly over the first one that was divorce and uh and Oftentimes, a child 
a child of divorce gets to their adult years and I mean, maybe through their growing up years, they just did what they had to do. Like they mm-hmm. went to what, you know, whatever the visitation was and they, they just did what they had to do. Then they become adults and they have to kind of, it's like they start looking at how they really feel about it. Mm-hmm. And so there may be a time where they have to kind of reckon with their own grief there that that maybe they didn't even really like they just pushed through it and did what they had to do when they were growing up but when they become parents themselves or they become adults like then because a lot of times people will you know when when i'm working with someone who is dealing with estrangement um and if there has been uh divorce in their past um you know they'll be like but this you know, but we always had such a good relationship. Mm-hmm. And so then the, it's confusing to them. But part of it is l- giving their child the space to figure out how they feel about that and what they need to grieve and uh, what they now feel like they have a voice in, but they didn't have a voice in back then. Right. And I think that's really important because as parents who go through a divorce, they do the best that they can for their children at the time. But um, I'm I'm always astounded um, when I'm working with children whose parents are divorced or going through a divorce is that I think parents don't really realize the um, what that what their family splitting up does to the child, and that's not to shame anyone who is divorced. Mm-hmm. I think it's just this very complicated understanding that adults have to be able to understand that their narrative of the divorce is different than their child's Mm. and even if you had a even if you had a close relationship with your child um when that child becomes an adult they still have real feelings of they don't understand all of the details right the Mm -hmm. child internalizes divorce through not understanding an affair, not understanding why it couldn't have worked out because we don't share all those dirty details with our children or we shouldn't. Mm-hmm. So um, so children of divorce really do need the grace and the space to be able to process their own grief, their own hopes and dreams. And, and um, hopefully as p- parents can give their children that grace and space for what they need um that will open up the opportunity for reconciliation or for more positive uh relationships as their child works through that hurt yeah yeah absolutely yeah i i so appreciate you saying that you know the child's narrative is different than the parent's narrative this is a place and i would say that about a lot of things in uh, as an as an empty nest mom myself, um, you know, and as I've done so much of my own personal healing, one question I have often asked myself is, how do they see me? Like, you know, and that's because I know how I see me. I also know the mistakes I made in the past, but, and I don't say, how do they see me? I say it from a curious perspective. 
Like mm-hmm. I, I really want to understand that so that I can, I don't know, have um, a little bit of, well, give them the grace and the space to process mm-hmm. things um, and uh, certainly be aware of, of it so that um, moving forward, I can interact differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's really important because what I had to, what I had to understand was that um, my child really didn't want to hear my side of the story. Mm. You know, when I really thought about, well, how does my child see me? Well, they really needed a mom, even in the present, who was big enough to accept and see how they saw me mm-hmm. from their wounds, from their past. I needed to be big enough to accept that. I needed to be big enough to say, while I have my side of the story, that's not what they need to hear. What yep. they need what they need is a mom who says, I receive where you're at, I receive your hurt, and um, will you forgive me for what I have done intentionally or unintentionally towards you? And I'm here when you are ready for a relationship. And and that's where the the inner work to um, to realize that my worth was not dependent upon how I felt my child saw me because when I looked, when I was stuck there, that's when I really was at my lowest point. Yes, for sure. So I want to, I want to explore that in just a moment, but first, you know, recently Mark and I did, um, it was a short 10 minute bonus podcast episode on impact over intent And we did it primarily from a marriage perspective, but I think it so applies here and we'll make sure and link over to that in the show notes uh, for those of you that are listening here. Um, But in general, the, the concept is that when there's been a rupture in a relationship and we need to repair it, What's most important is addressing the impact rather than the intent. Our Mm -hmm. tendency is to defend our intent. Mm -hmm. But what really helps heal is to address the impact. So how our actions affected them is what is most important rather than, as you said, the words you just shared are, you know, me sharing my side of the story or my perspective. That's what's not, that is not needed for healing when somebody's heart is hurt. Uh, uh, Being able to own the impact and their experience and how we, how Oftentimes, uh, I would say more often than not, it we unintentionally hurt them, and they we don't they don't even know need to know that it's unintentional. We hurt, and so therefore mm-hmm. we have to address the impact and stop trying to explain the intent. I would agree one hundred percent. And one thing that um, Doctor um, 
Townsend and Cloud, who were the authors of the Boundary books and series, one thing that always sticks out to me about their formula for boundaries is um, empathy and boundaries. So, you know, when you're working, even when you're working with a narcissist, you you have boundaries, but you have empathy. And that empathy piece is so critical. And I think that's where it comes with impact versus intention, because if we're trying to defend ourselves and have our voice heard, then we're not being empathetic to that person's wound and that person's hurt. And um, I think as parents, especially, I'm thinking especially of those who who have a hard time just understanding how their child could turn against them or cut them off or um, distance themselves from them when they really in good intention gave their children everything. They gave them, you know, the the best of everything. And um, in doing, in doing that, whatever it is that the child, that the wound the child has, empathy is the number one, way for our children to heal and for our children to feel seen and known. And I heard someone say um, that when when we feel seen and known is when we feel loved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so even when we may not feel like the relationship is reconciled, one of the the key things we can do for that relationship repair, is to have the person we go to to work out our grief and need to be validated and understood. We need that person who's not our child because we need to be able to be this person who can have empathy for our children um, with whatever their accusation is against us in a way that doesn't enable it of like, oh, I'm worthless, I'm just going to take whatever you throw at me because I do know a lot of estrangement can be very, very abusive. Um, But to be able to say, um, I did the best I could with what I knew at the time, and in doing that, I hurt you. Um, And leave it there. And then go do your own work as the parent with the person who can validate our experience because our children may never validate or even ask for forgiveness for the estrangement. Mm, That's so powerful, Sarah, because I think that probably there are people that are sitting here going, but what about my pain? What about what they've done to me? Right? So you're not saying that you, that, that you don't need to work through that. You're saying that in this case, it may be best that you work through that with someone else. And so your, your pain is valid, but to expect your child to be the one that validates it may be an unrealistic expectation. Oh, yes. And it may underestimate the uh, well it, it may um actually turn the healing process upside down and and yeah we don't want that no because we can't approach this relationship this severed relationship with our children like we would a spouse mm, why why 
Let's talk um, about because why. Because they're two completely different relationships, right? Our spouse is our partner and it's an it's a equal it's a relationship of equal power. Mm-hmm. Meaning that we're we're both on the same level. Whereas I don't care how old a, a we are as parents and even when our children are adults we are we will always be in a higher hierarchical relationship with them even though we're the same age right we're both adults well but you will always have that fiduciary relationship of being the person who is older than they are who has been in tr- whose whose lifelong job really is to um protect and protect and care for your child yes so in so the other thing about relationship repairs which jill i know you know this but maybe a lot of people don't know this is that um in all relationships as long as there is someone who is reaching out for some type of connection then there's hope for that relationship but it's when that relationship there's no longer a reach out there's no longer a a bid i think is what it's called um, a bid to restore the relationship, then that's really where hope goes awry. So um, when your child is reaching out, even in small ways, even though it feels hurtful, um, again, I'm not saying this in situations that are abusive and really, really um, toxic. That's, I mean, there are so many levels of estrangement. Sure. Um, but we we can't look at this broken relationship with our children in the same way we would with a partner. Mm. They aren't the same relationship. They have different stories. And the bottom line is um, that your child is probably always going to have a different narrative than what we have. So it's not, and, and our child may never want to work at the relationship in a way that our spouse does because they have, you know, they have their own family. They have their own life that is outside of ours. Mm-hmm. Whereas our partner is the one we're, we're choosing to do life with for a lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, I, I really appreciate you identifying that and really helping to um, piece that out in our head, because I think a lot of times we don't understand it. So let's go back though to you were talking about when you dealt with the most recent estrangement, you had to do some personal work. And that's where you realized that you still had some of your own healing with guilt and shame. Mm -hmm. And so when you say you had your own healing with guilt and shame and you did some inner healing, that may not be a concept that some people are even aware of. Can you talk a little bit more about what it looks like to do our own work and to experience some inner healing? What does that look like, Sarah? So uh, that looks like going to someone else for help. Don't try to do it all on your own. Because again, especially in in with estrangement we do need someone outside of the situation to validate our feelings because otherwise we will not feel at peace and if we're always looking to our child for that validation from a child or that reconciliation um but for me what i realized was 
um, the the triggering event that actually um, snowballed then into a several month estrangement. Um, that that had so much guilt and shame. I I literally felt the guilt and shame on me. I felt so ashamed of who I was, and I felt so much shame for the past. And that's when I realized that if my if my child never reaches out to me again, mm-hmm. I how I felt about myself, like I recognized this is not healthy. Like this is true shame. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I ever really saw it like that before. I think, I think um, in, in the past, I looked at what I had done and I asked for forgiveness and, but didn't realize that I still carried this shame. So I went to um someone who was able to help me um, from a spiritual perspective really dive through where does the shame come from mm-hmm. um, and name the shame, name the hurt, name mm-hmm. all the hurt, name name the hurt that this child has that I've taken on, that I've absorbed, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of um, a lot of words that felt abusive over really a long span of time mm-hmm. Um and to the place, so I think parents who are estranged will understand this, is that when you're in that role, you kind of feel like you're pinned against a wall. Because if you do, if you say this or if you say that, it can be, you know, used against you or you don't know how it's going to end up. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I had to recognize that my value was separate from how my child saw me and my value was separate from my child having a relationship with me that my value was in christ which i have known my whole life Mm -hmm. i've known in my head but when i realized that the shame was that jesus took care of the shame on the cross and i needed to give it to him and let him take my pain and to let him and i i think what i realized was um you know there was a point on the cross where god turned his face against jesus and i realized that even jesus knows that place of someone you love a parent or a child turning against you so the counselor that i had gone to really helped me to see um my value in Christ, which again, I knew in my head my whole life, and I've known it in my heart, I think the majority of my life. But this particular time, what I realized was there still was um, a sense of guilt and shame that that even went beyond my relationship with my child. It went to, to deep-seated childhood wounds mm-hmm. that um, it all morphs together. Mm-hmm. And as I worked through that, Jill, I think what I also learned in the process was if I have these pains and wounds, and I'm even older than my child, well, then my child has pains and wounds mm-hmm. that they're working through too, right? Yes, very, very true. Mm-hmm. So I think when we, it's important for us to do our own work because that gives us the stability and the strength 
and the tenacity and the objectiveness. And I think that objective piece is really important because when we can only see things through our own pain, we, we are subjective, not objective. And our child really needs us to be as neutral as possible. Mm-hmm. As you were talking, one of the things that, well, first, let's, let's define what shame is. Because some people may not be familiar with shame. Usually, um, like the definition I am familiar with, and you know, you might add to it or have a different way to explain it, is that you know, we experience conviction when we do something wrong. We experience condemnation when shame is in place. And so conviction says, I did a wrong thing, but shame says I'm a bad person because of that. So it, would you expound upon that in any way? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think there's restorative guilt, which is that true guilt of saying, I did something wrong, I need to confess, I need to make it right. And then there's false guilt, which is something that someone either puts on us or we absorb. Yes, And, and in that, so if you can think of someone, you know, an old-fashioned shame saying of saying shame on you right well shame is literally a judgment and guilt put on us Mm -hmm. and we wear it around like our wardrobe Mm -hmm. and so when there's when there's false guilt rather than you know restorative guilt when i first realized that my actions as a reactive parent were affecting my family that was conviction and and real guilt i needed to confess it i needed to face it i needed to work through and change it Mm -hmm. um this guilt and shame that i carried was that as long because i had not been the parent that i should have been for a season of my parenting then i deserved everything that my child Mm. threw at me Mm. put on me Mm. and i and i absorbed that i realized i absorbed that for several years almost took it it on as an identity yeah yeah really and so when when the estrangement happened um that's when i realized that i had so much anxiety that first I had to deal with the anxiety mm-hmm. and recognizing that, you know, doing body work, doing, again, just um, doing counseling just for the anxiety. And then once I got through the anxiety and realized, okay, I can't control this outcome. I can mm-hmm. only control myself and what I can add to it. So mm-hmm. when I made the repair attempt to say, um, I hear you, I hear what you need. And um, this is what I offer, but I will respect your boundaries. And if you're ready to start a conversation, um, I will be open to that. Mm -hmm. And then I had to step back and say, if things never get better than this, then I I can't carry on this shame anymore. Like, Mm -hmm. my child is an adult. I've done all I can do. My child's an adult. And... um. And Jesus also loves me. Jesus loves my child, but Jesus also loves me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
you know, this really lines up with something I talk about in my Empty Nest Full Life book. Uh, the first half of the book are the things that we need to let go of, and the second half are the things we need to hold on to. And one of the things that we need to let go of is idols. Things, mm -hmm. and part of, and one of the things I talk about is um, identity idols that, uh, and I think especially for moms, this is easy to to have happen because we pour our lives into our kids and and without realizing it we can wrap our identity in there it can get tangled up in there mm -hmm. and we we stop realizing that our identity is in Christ and it's based upon either how our kids are behaving how the choices our kids are making how they see us all of those things play into identity and it, they become an idol. And so we really want to steer clear of that. And uh, sometimes we need help untangling it. Yeah, because I think, especially for moms, I think um, maybe not so much for, for dads. I may be wrong on that. But I think I think of especially moms who you know, have been stay-at-home moms really up until their children, you know, leave the home. Yeah. Uh, there, there are a lot of women still in our in um, our generation who who have done that, and um, and so when our child, when we feel rejection from our child, mm -hmm. it it's a pain that you almost think you can't bear mm -hmm. because you have you have given your life for that child and. And you just think, how, like, what am I worth if my child rejects me, you know? Um, the It's just a pain that I think no one can understand. And I remember sharing that with my husband and saying, um, you know, you don't, you don't understand the level of pain mm -hmm. that this feels. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but again, um, God does, mm -hmm. you know, Jesus, Jesus felt that rejection from God on the cross. Mm -hmm. And it was when I realized that Jesus understands this depth of rejection yeah. from the one person who he loved the most, um, and I think also the the other part about our child is, and this is one thing I've learned as a as a therapist. I think all children. I may be wrong in saying this, but I it's my it's my gut mm -hmm. assessment mm -hmm. that all children desire a relationship, a loving relationship with their parent, no matter how how mean, how abusive, how you know abandoned they have felt. They they still, every child in their heart of hearts still desires a love relationship with their parent. Mm -hmm. And so what I had to tell myself and what I encourage then other parents that I worked with who, who go through this is um, we never know the end of the story. This is just the story for now, mm -hmm. right? This is where a child is right now. So if I want a relationship with my child over their lifetime, yes, then I need to have the patience. I need to have the hope in Christ, the hope in God 
that he is the author of the story. And right now, this is what my child needs right now, because yes. my child needs this in order to probably have a relationship with me. And the, the other thing that I'll say also is that I've worked a lot in the field of domestic violence as a therapist. And often what happens with some estrangements is that the estrangement happens when your child gets involved in a toxic relationship. Mm -hmm, and I've sure. told many, many parents that if you can, if you can keep any thread of relationship with that child, even though their partner may be isolating them or being mm -hmm. abusive to them, or because that's what abusive people tend to do, they will isolate mm -hmm. the other, the, the, the victim and isolate them from their family. Mm -hmm. Because when that child does need help, then they will know that you are there. And I think that's the other thing about showing up for your kids, even when they're estranged, and this is kind of what it looks like, is that um is to still be respectful, still reach out. I think during our time of estrangement, after you know several weeks, um I would at least reach out to say, sometimes I would just text to say, um, I'm praying for you this week. Or if there was a family event that we needed to be communicated, I would text about that. Because this is the thing. Every child, even though they say, remember when our children were teenagers and they'd say, get out of my room. I hate you. Yeah. Right? They they really want us there when they open up the door when they're ready to come talk to us. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. They really don't want the parent to walk away and never come back. And it's the same way. I, I think that our kids really, when they set those boundaries up, they still want to know that the parent still wants a relationship. Yeah. And this is, I mean, this is where we also can look to the Bible and the story of the prodigal son. Mm -hmm. Right. Because really we call it the prodigal son, but it was estrangement. It was. Yes. Yeah. And you see that father, and I mean, the father had to give the son his space mm -hmm. and he had to figure things out for himself. And then when his son came home, he greeted him with open arms. And, you know, oftentimes I think the mistake that we want to make in that moment, if we go back to earlier in our conversation, we want to be like, do you know how worried I was about you? Do you know mm -hmm. how you affected me? Do you know how scared I have been? Like, we want to do all of that. And then in doing that, we start to burn a bridge that just got ever so gently rebuilt. Right, right. I know I would agree with that. And that's why, um, you know, even currently for myself, um, I don't make any assumptions. I really take, um, really just take things as they come. Um, I do try to be as uh, understanding as I can. I think that's where doing your own work is really helpful. Mm -hmm. Because when, when we're still trying to fight for our rights or trying to fight for that validation or trying to fight for playing mm -hmm. fair or well this is an equal thing you did this and and that hurt me this way um i want to be able when i can come to conversations or lack of conversations with empathy 
and a curiosity. You mentioned that curiosity. That's so important. Tell me more about that. When we are secure enough and are doing our own work that we can take whatever's coming at us so that we can sift through all the feelings or all the things um, to be able to be curious about things, that those are the, some of the bridges because then our children know like my, you know, my parent is safe for me to talk to. I don't need to put up all these walls mm-hmm. because look, they're growing too. Now I know that in, there are many situations where estrangement is not uh, the opportunities for building that bridge may really be very limited. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I think that's especially when that outside work is really, really important because when our identity is tied up into, well, I will only feel okay when my child comes back into my life or when mm. my child will let me see my grandchildren. Or, I mean, I know this is very complicated and I know that there are thousands and thousands of estranged grandparents and, and estranged um, children and broken families. Mm-hmm. Um that it it's not as simple as well this is how it's worked for me that's not necessarily going to work for everyone in every situation but when we can i think when we can say to ourselves um i was faithful in raising the child to, in the way that i i did the best i could at the time with what i knew i had mm-hmm. and i need to release the rest to god i keep on thinking of abraham and isaac And I think um, the first time our estrangement happened, um, I was a much younger parent. And I just, I remember pouring my heart out over and over again in that passage of where God says to Abraham, um, you know, I want you to sacrifice your child. And Abraham Mm -hmm. went along and said, Lord, I'll I'll do that. And he believed in faith that God was going to provide. And, um, And so, you release your child to God, Mm -hmm. trusting Him, not the outcome. Yes. Yes. And I know, know, Jill, that you probably have a similar situation with your son when you've had to do hard things with one of your kids. Mm -hmm. And um, so, our, our faith comes... Our faith turns to Jesus rather than the outcome of the situation. But I think the hope comes, our hope has to be in that Jesus is the author of the story and he's he's there yes. at the finish line. We don't know what that looks like. We're yeah. still maybe on lap two and we've got a hundred more laps to go. Yep. And you know what struck me is you were kind of sharing if we want the possibility of a hundred laps to go and the possibility we we want to also not mishandle lap two and lap three mm-hmm. right right because right. if we if we keep hil- heaping guilt and shame on them for the way they're treating us or trying to get them to understand then we may be mishandling it and we're not helping the healing process either so we have to have this long like this bigger picture and and really like lord what is the best way for me to handle this right now mm-hmm. and i think i think that makes a big difference the second thing that c- 
comes to my mind is there was a phrase I used during the dark season in my marriage, and I've even used it in the dark season as a parent. Um, but it is a phrase that I heard from Jennifer Rothschild, and it is it is it is not well with my circumstances, but it but it is well with my soul. Mm. And I have often turned that into a prayer. Lord, it is not well with my circumstances, but I need it to be well with my soul. And then when we're talking about work, personal work, it's that our joy is found in the Lord. It's not found Mm -hmm. in whether our relationship with our kids is where we want it to be or not to be. And so also talking about some of the work, doing our own work, and you've been talking about it in in your identity in Christ and knowing that even if your child sees you one way, what's most important is how you know that God sees you and that is your identity. And that's how it becomes well with our soul, even when it's not well with our circumstances. Yeah, and I think that um, the one thing that we haven't talked about is is grief and i think this is where grief comes in how do we make it well with our soul well we have to give ourselves the huge expanse of grace and space to be able to grieve this loss and to be able to grieve the pain and grieve um which means that you know, sometimes that's where the a therapist or um, mm-hmm. a spiritual director or someone, yes, not just your friend, but someone who really is just devoted to you for that hour, not not your friend who knows the whole situation and, and is going to validate, you know, or or uh, who's going to know more of the the whole family situation, but more of that space because there's so many parts of this amount of grief that. Um, is very specific to estrangement because as i mentioned before it's rejection of the child of this person who you've created and you've birthed and you've just given all of your heart and soul because as we can grieve and as we let our emotions out and as we identify our pain then that's where our soul can be well because yes. we're not carrying we're not carrying grief around with the guilt and the shame and yes. for myself this last time, I think what was the turning point for me was when I realized that in my grief was this guilt and shame that I had taken on as my birthright because I had done something wrong. Mm-hmm. And I also was able to grieve a lot of other losses. I There were childhood wounds uh, from my own family of origin that was wrapped up in all of this what's really important hang on here is you've done a lot of that sarah like you as a therapist yourself you you also have overcome things in your life and done a lot of internal work this was just another layer wasn't it yeah and i think that's what threw me by such a surprise. I think that's mm-hmm. why I realized how big the guilt and shame was, was because I had done all this work, right? Yeah. yeah. And and so and so um when I realized that the grief of what if things never get better, mm-hmm. I had to deal with that. 
And then I had to deal with the guilt and the shame that seemed to just rise at the surface because, you know, I think for most of us, when we first are start uncovering the things we need to change and really dealing with those sins that we need to deal with. Well, when we start taking care of them, we our, our soul does feel well, right? Yeah. Like yeah. We, we, we get to the place where we're not in a constant state of turmoil. And so for me, the, the turmoil was this guilt and shame that I, that just shipwrecked me and caused such anxiety that I was having a panic attack one day. And I realized, wow, um, I need to, I have to pay attention to this. I have to work on this. I have to deal with this now. Mm-hmm. And then also with the guilt was, was somehow understanding that if things never got better, um, then who was I and what was my life? I still had other children that I needed to build relationships with. Mm-hmm. I didn't want, if, if this was what my child chose, then I wasn't going to let it define our family. Mm-hmm. Um, if this is what my child was choosing, um, then they would be responsible to talk to the siblings about it. You know, mm-hmm. there there was a lot of things there that when I was able to grieve and deal with what mine was not to carry anymore, when I was able to really work through that, it doesn't mean that things are never hurtful anymore or I don't ever grieve. Yeah. Part of me does grieve a relationship that I don't know will ever, you know, will ever be. Mm-hmm. And I know there's a lot of parents who experience grief in that way. And I think that's part of what as moms, especially, we have to work on with other people is to say, um, is the grief of those broken dreams or what we had, ex- what we thought was going to be our relationship with our adult children. And so mm-hmm. I think when we can name the different things, then it it, it gives us um, a clearer lens, a more objective lens to look through things. Mm-hmm. And again, it gives us more hope. Yes. Yeah. You know, sometimes what I have also found in my journey is when when there is when my child or another person or even my spouse does something that hurts me, that causes hurt, and it would even cause us, if we were talking about it, we, it would cause us to say to someone else, when they did that, that was so hurtful. That often when we say that, we're thinking of what the other person did. But what is often helpful is to think Why is that so hurtful to me? That's a great place of doing your own work because if we just stop at it, it being the other person's behavior, and then we're kind of in a place of blame, then, and and that's not minimizing in any way what that, that what they did was painful for us, but sometimes it's even double painful or triple painful because of a wound we already have as it relates to that thing. Like maybe we have a rejection wound and we have this struggle with rejection. So when our child does something that feels like they're, maybe they're just 
even as an empty nest parent, maybe they're just living their own life, literally, like they come to the holidays and they go, hey, we're going to we're going to celebrate at home um, this year on Christmas Day. So we won't be joining the whole family on Christmas because we're doing our own celebration. Well, then when something like that happens and we take that as rejection, like they're rejecting us, no, they're actually leaving and cleaving, doing what they're supposed to, but it raises something in us. Sometimes literally they do do something that hurts us and it raises something, but that's a great place to also go, what did that touch in me? Like what message did that touch in me? Have you had that experience? Yeah. And I think that's why when this, this last um, season brought up all of this shame and guilt I realized that that was a touching point that went to childhood wounds Mm -hmm. of an inerrant belief system that I, that I am inerrantly, um, like not, not good, not lovable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so as I did my own inner healing and work with then with, with, um, the person I was doing that work with, I was able to go back to those childhood wounds. And, you know, because if we think about it this way, and again, I think it, it as much as possible, if we can, when we work on our own things, it allows us to see things from our children's perspective. Mm. It allows us to see things a little bit more in context. Because when I was able to say, well, when I was, when I was my child's age as an adult, I didn't have my life to get, like, I really, right? Like, I was functioning as a parent in ways from my own childhood wounds that -hmm. were impacting my child at that time. And so, now here's my child Mm -hmm. dealing with their childhood wounds. But see, our culture is telling our young adults and our adult children to deal with it differently. We weren't, we didn't have all the social media and all the books and all the therapists around. I mean, now everyone under the sun is going to a therapist, which is great. I mean, I'm a therapist. That's a good thing if, you know, but um, that was actually one of those pathways to estrangement was, um, and and we talked a little bit about this beforehand about the impact of social media. So, (laughs) so our children of any adult age, social media isn't bombarding them with all of these messages. So they may have, they may have one message that says that is talking all about like abandonment or attachment and little t trauma. I think that's the other thing that is really, um, uh, I think a factor to all of this. I don't want to give a personal opinion about it, but little t trauma has become such a buzzword mm-hmm. that it's making a lot of childhood experiences that maybe a generation in our in a generation or two ago was just normal life with parents doing the best that they knew for their generation mm-hmm. you know now there's gentle parenting and all these other things which are good but many of us weren't raised that way and we didn't raise our children with all of these ways that in today's world, it's almost, I think a lot of times our adult children receive the messages that if your parents did X, Y, Z, if your parents spanked you, if your parents raised their voice at you, if your parents, you know, um, did this, 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 
then you were traumatized or they were bad parents. And so um, there's a lot of messages that our adult children are absorbing that in their 20s or 30s or 40s, they're trying to figure out for themselves. I think that's where we can step back and say, all right, I had my own issues when I was their age. They're dealing with it different than how I dealt with it, but I still had wounds. What can I do that gives them space to be able to grow and heal and still open that door for a reconciled relationship or or at least an amicable relationship that may not be what I would dream of or hope for, but at least is one where there's an open door. Yeah, yeah. You know, you just brought up something that I want to make sure that we cover as we kind of start to bring this a little bit to a close here. You talk, um, you and I talked uh, before we hit record that in Joshua Coleman's book, Rules of Estrangement, which we'll make sure and put a link to that also in the show notes. But in his book, he also talks about some cultural shifts that are contributing to more and more of this estrangement. And you just mentioned one that, you know, you and I talked about, and that's social media and the, um, it's almost becoming a, a form of education, but it's not always, sometimes it's educating in a very positive way and not always is the education the best or the wisest, but our kids are taking that in and we might be too. <laughs> So that is a piece of it. But Joshua Coleman in his book's Rules of Estrangement talks about some other cultural shifts. Let's talk about, or at least let's mention those so that we have some context as well, because these were fascinating to me, Sarah, that um, because I see them in so many different ways. For instance, one is um, one cultural shift is there is a lack of devotion to parents especially in middle-class to upper-middle-class families. Like, culture is shifting, and there used to be more devotion to parents. And in general, because, um, and this was another one, Americans value individualism more than family systems. Mm -hmm. Those two play together. So there's this individualism piece and um, and there's less of this obligation to family that there used to be 50 to 70 years ago. Yeah, and I've seen that. I've seen that in um, in a lot of people that I've worked with or conversations that I've had um, mm-hmm. informally of um, it's, I think, a lot of kids who may be viewed as being entitled because their parents did do everything for them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when the parent says, well, I, I, I gave them everything and I, I stayed home with them full time until they went to college. I gave them everything. Um, we were at every sporting event and it's that value of individualism and um, the, the affluence of not needing the parents. Whereas I think in the socioeconomic classes where um, there's a more of a cohesiveness because of poverty or because of a family system where you rely on each other much more. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's just, there's more of maybe that work ethic family systems that are maybe more embedded in where there's not so much influence. Yeah. 
it, I mean, it makes sense. A- another cultural shift that Coleman talks about is that parents today are more attached to adult children's love and attention than past generations. Yeah, you know, I think I loved reading that because it really is true. I mean, when I think about when my parents, when I left home, um, my parents really weren't involved in my life. I mean, they kind of did their own thing and and we kind of did our own own thing. And it wasn't that it wasn't a bad thing. It's just how it was. But um, I think as parents, especially parents who've been so involved in our children's lives, they leave home and then we expect that same type of attachment and involvement. Right. And I think that's where children might need the distance because they... Because they're pulling away from that. Yes. And they feel smothered by their parents. Mm -hmm. You know, and we do our our kids a disservice when we don't give them... I mean, God created them for autonomy. So when we're sitting there and then when we're so whiny and when we're, well, you didn't call or, well, why didn't you answer my text? With this, you know, kind of placement of our emotions on our adult children, it makes sense of why adult children really want to have their own place. And mom and dad, they don't want them in all parts of their lives. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I think that goes back to the idol. You mentioned that before. Another way to say this is we're we idolize our relationship with our children a little bit more than our parents did or grandparents did yeah well and another cultural shift he identifies is parents investing more in their kids financially and emotionally than in past generations which you just kind of referred to but i think there's also because we have given our kids Many of us have given our kids so much, then we don't even realize it, but we feel like they owe us something. And so then, and they feel that pressure that, you know, so they're feeling the guilt that, hey, you owe this to me. And then part of that can even cause them to pull away because it's like, you know, nothing I ever do makes my mom happy. I, you know, if I, if I text her twice a week, it's, why didn't you text me three times a week? And um, and so that's a place where I think a lot of times there's little, there's tiny little things, you know, that have gone on over time, small little comments that are almost passive aggressive that probably also cause some kids to pull away and go, you know what, I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to deal with this because it's always some little dig. Yeah. And I think especially spouses can see that, right? So like when your children get married and they become part of your family system, they maybe see some of that and they're like, why did, why does your mom always, you know, and, and you mentioned leaving and cleaving and that's really God's narrative for family, right? Is that we leave and cleave when I think a lot of parenting you know, we have a hard time letting our children go because our identity is so wrapped up into, and it it is this element of attachment that maybe wasn't the best, you know, to start with. Jill, I know you and Mark in your marriage seminars go through a lot of the different attachment styles. I know that's a whole nother topic, mm-hmm. but I think when we can see how complicated all of this is, like, 
I don't know, when you think through all the different components and you think just the fact that um, we as humans can have a relationship with each other with all these different components, in some ways it's kind of a miracle because you can you can pick apart anything, right? Like, right. well, my attachment style is this and, and then... And maybe the parent, maybe the child learns about that. Maybe the child in their own therapy or something learns about attachment, all these other things. Well, then once they understand it, then they may have to go through their own process of blaming, well, mom, because you did this, then I have this way and it's affected me this way. So, you know, I think that, again, when we go through our own inner healing, one thing, my child who is the one that, that, um, these situations have happened with has said throughout our relationship sometimes is mom don't take things so personally Mm. and i know in the moment i'm sitting there thinking well how can i not take that personally Mm -hmm. but when we have our own wounds that are so fresh Mm -hmm. then we do take a lot of things personally and we internalize a lot of things that really is our child's story and maybe isn't just our story and i think part of that autonomy with our children is that we also have to understand that while our children are separate they're developing their own autonomy we as parents need to develop autonomy apart from our children too yeah and i think that's where estrangement can be um maybe a little bit more I don't want to say manageable or we can enter into a place of more acceptance is the more we understand that my child does not define who I am. I, and I know for myself, I can just speak for myself when I had to face, when I had to face that I didn't know how this was going to end up. Mm -hmm. And I had to ask myself if this relationship is never reconciled, what what do I have control of? Yeah. And how can I move forward on my side of the fence? And I think at the end of the day, that's really one of the components that we have to look at is how can I be healthy mm-hmm. and stable and live a life that is may have an element of sadness and grief to it? Mm-hmm. Um but still move forward with my life, with my marriage, with uh, relationships with my other children, if I don't have control over this relationship over here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so grateful that you've been willing to share your story, Sarah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. If if it can help other people, um, you know, then it's, I give, glory to God, because um, none of this is something any of us would want or Mm-mm. ask for. It's not what we think is going to happen when we have that little child. Yeah. Um, but I I also, I just want to encourage any parent who is walking through it. Mm-hmm. Um, our hope is in Jesus, and he is the author of our family's story. And just to, to never give up. I never give up hope. I agree with that. And, you know, if I had to summarize kind of next steps for someone who's listening, that's going through something, uh, if I had to just kind of summarize where I feel like we've been, uh, I hear three um, next steps. I, I hear grieve. 
Um, grieve your losses in safe spaces. Don't put that on your children. Um, and really, one of the safe spaces is also with God, because, you know, the Bible describes Jesus as a man acquainted with grief. And so, um, so you need to grieve that, but they need space away from you to grow, to change, and they'll know you're a safer person for them when they actually see that growth and change in you. So grieve is one. The second one, we've certainly had a theme of do your own work. Um, recognize we all have work to do. Like we all have healing to do from hurts, wounds, childhood. Even if you had a wonderful childhood experience, there are places that you may not understand that um, have caused a message inside of you that this kind of snags. So do your own work to sort through those. And then finally, respect your child's requests, their space, their boundaries, because they need that space to heal, to gain their bearings. And you're actually building equity when you do that, because you're showing your child that you're capable and, and able to handle their pain and that you're becoming safe for them. And that goes back to you having another place beside your child to express what's going on and to work through what's going on with you. So grieve, do your own work, and respect your child's um, request for boundaries. Yeah, and I, I want to encourage any parent, especially on that last one, mm -hmm. I think that's where having that outside perspective is really, really helpful because um, we will we will tend to see their boundaries through our emotions mm -hmm. and hurt. Mm -hmm. But when you're, when, and, and if you, again, if you can flip the narrative to say, if I set my boundaries with someone, and that person showed me that they respected those boundaries, but they weren't punitive or they weren't bitter or mm. they they actually were friendly towards me, but respected yeah. the boundaries. Then that shows me I, I can start to trust that person. Yeah, that makes sense. That's really good. Um, one last thought too, you were talking about taking things personally. Um, and, uh, there's two resources that, that used to be a huge issue for Mark. Um, and I think a lot of that comes from shame and guilt and that shame wound is when we take things personal, but there were two resources that were really helpful. And I'll make sure and put these in the show notes for those of you that are listening, because if that's a place where you struggle with taking things personally, uh, the first one is a book by Brant Hansen called unoffendable. Um, that book was really helpful for Mark, um, on that journey. And then a second one, it's not a Christian book, but, um, Mark really loved the content in it. It was, it's a book called Rejection Free for Life and, um, by uh, Scott Allen. And that was also really, really helpful in his, uh, journey to, uh, step out of shame and particularly rejection and not take things so personally. So, um, 
just want to have some good resources uh, to point you towards for those of you that are listening. Um, Sarah, I'm just wondering, as we bring things to a close, would you be willing to pray for our listeners? Sure. Um, Lord Jesus, um, I thank you for every mom or dad who's listening right now who is carrying um, a pain that is um, so deep and so um, so silent yeah. that others don't see it. They're afraid to share it. Lord, I ask that they would, through this um, podcast, that they will know that you see them, that we see them, and that you, you know their pain and that you are right there with them. Jesus, I ask that you would be the source of hope for them and that you would prompt something in them to be able to um, move forward in some way from where they feel stuck, yeah. from where they feel hopeless, yeah, from where they feel overwhelmed, um, depressed, just down a hole that they don't see how to how to climb mm. out. Yeah, I ask that you would put people in their life who will be the next step for them, whether it's yeah. um, a counselor, whether it's a pastor, whether it's a friend, yeah, whether it's one of the resources that we've mentioned, Lord, that you would just help them to take um, the best next step, and that you would also be the one who will bridge the gap between their child and themselves. Mm-hmm. And Lord, I thank you and I praise you that as long as we put our hope and our faith and our trust in you, that um, you have a hope and a future mm-hmm. for um, each parent, mm-hmm. for each parent-child relationship, and for each family that is um, represented by those listening right now. So Lord, I just ask that you would um, provide for their needs according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining me today on the No More Perfect Podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe and follow so you don't miss any future conversations. You can find the show notes and links to anything we talked about over on jillsavage.org slash podcast. I hang out on Facebook and Instagram and would love to connect with you there. You can find me under the name jillsavage.author. One more thing, we have three free ebooks that we'd love to give you. You can find them at jillsavage.org slash free. See you next week where we'll have another conversation about the real stuff of life and relationships.